0: Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Matt Lyle. Matt is a hitting coach. He's essentially been a hitting coach or a head coach at every single level. Travel baseball, high school baseball, NAIA, Division Three, Division Two, Division One. Last year, he was with the Chicago White Sox. He's been a baseball coach. He's also been a softball coach just last year. I'm sorry, just this past season. He was with Fresno State as their hitting coach for softball. And then previously he was with the Chicago White Sox. So he does both baseball and softball. Great mind. I've been following him for several years now on social media. He has a huge following and it's no surprise because he puts out really good content he also has his own uh, a company. It's called the Hitting Vault, which again it brings a lot of value to a lot of different people. Lots of different drills, and he has PDFs on there, and there's so many different, so many different pieces of of content that can help you as a coach or a player. So we'll put both of those links in the show notes, and if you're someone who's interested in a becoming a coach and and getting to the point where where Coach Lyle has been at it and coached at all these levels, or maybe you're someone who just wants to give back to the game of baseball, uh, this is going to be a great episode for you. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is Matt Lyle. All right, we now welcome on Matt Lyle. Matt uh, is the founder of The Hitting Vault, an awesome online resource, a resource for, for coaches, players, parents. Um, you know, I've seen some of his content, been following him for several years now, and he's just A, a great guy, and B, just puts out just quality content consistently, and that's the hardest part, doing it consistently. So, Matt, I appreciate you coming on today, man. Uh, thanks, Patrick. I appreciate being on. So you've been all over the place, man. I mean, you've been, you've coached everywhere. You've done baseball, you've done softball. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are listening to this who maybe already know who you are, but there's going to be some who maybe don't. And for those who, who don't, uh, could you just give everyone a little bit of a, a background on yourself in ba- baseball and softball?
1: Yeah. So for me, uh, I coached high school baseball with my first uh, foray. Got done playing a uh, uh, little bit of college ball and, and got it. Got my old my old high school asked me to coach. So I coached high school baseball for four years and then got in. I coached NAIA for a little bit and went back to high school. Uh, I was a head coach at a D3 baseball school uh, in 2008. And, and then get, I went back to coach high school for a couple more years and then Got an opportunity to be the hitting coach at the University of Oregon for softball. I had never coached softball before in my life, but I had started watching it th- that year, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is a fun sport, and it looks like looks the same. You know, it was the same as baseball other than the tempo was a little faster. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And for me as a, you know, ADD guy who, uh, you know, liked the fast pace of it, I was like, this is really fun. So I got into coaching softball, and I did that for a few years. Uh, and then I started sharing on social media a ton and back in 2012, 13, and you know, now social media is a whole different uh, landscape. But back then, uh, there weren't a lot of, you know, hitting guys on social media. And so, uh, like you talked about being consistent, I just started sharing stuff all the time, every day, many, many hours. And next thing you know, you know, I had you know, 100,000 followers and 200,000 followers, and it just really snowballed. And so, around 2015, I started getting uh, DMs from people, uh, you know, Jock Peterson, Daniel Scalzo, so a lot of these uh, MLB guys uh, different and, uh, and some uh, GMs of different organizations saying, hey, we've been following you on Twitter or Facebook for a little while, you know, would you be willing to work with one of our guys or work with us? and uh, it kind of just snowballed from there, and so uh, I coached at the University of South Carolina, in Missouri. I got an opportunity to coach with the Chicago White Sox last year, uh, and so uh, my journey. I've coached at every level: NAIA, D three, D two, D one, Pac twelve, SEC, Major League Baseball. And you know, it's been a journey, and I think you know a lot of people. Uh, you know, the ladder of it has been has been crazy. I've been very blessed, uh, and. Uh, so that's kind of the gist of um, my career. And it. it's been, it's been, and I think the same for you, Patrick, like you've done a great job sharing on social media. And I think what's been the, the most awesome thing about social media is that, you know, 2013, 14, 15, when I would talk with front offices and major league teams, you know, outside Twitter guys who had never played pro ball, that, that you know, it was very, it wasn't going to happen. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of hirings. And so, now, uh, because of social media, because of Twitter, uh, and being, people putting out really good content, you see guys like Jason Ochart, yourself, my, me, uh, there's all these guys that have gotten hired uh, because they've just shared really good content, and finally that kind of barrier went down of outside guys who didn't play. And I think there's still a long way to go there as a lot of people are learning, you know, it's it's still a difficult landscape, but it has changed a lot and it's been really fun to see uh, just the opportunities that are happening for people in, in baseball.
0: So since you've done softball and baseball, I know everyone, there's still an argument sometimes about, you know, what the different softball swing or whatnot. I think, you know, we can say it's pretty much, it's the same swing. Now, but what what would you say are the differences when you coach softball versus baseball? Is it just practice design? Is it uh, how you work with the players? Like, is there anything different at all between coaching softball and baseball players? To me,
1: the biggest differences are uh, when you coach women uh, in general, like delivery of um, feedback sometimes has to be a little bit better. And it's made me a better communicator. You know, I think... Uh, In the men's game, uh, a lot of times we can be really direct or use sarcasm to get things across sometimes. And it doesn't, I learned very quickly, it doesn't land very well uh, when you're coaching females. So I learned how to be a better communicator, uh, which I think is good in general, like men and women. It helped me a lot just learning how to deliver feedback in in a better way. Uh, But swing wise, the only difference is that when you get to the high levels, the the difference between softball and baseball is that as as baseball players evolve, like when we're twelve years old, we play on the two hundred foot fences, and then we get to high school. It's a little bit you know closer to the big league. But the in college and pros, like you have these long fences. Well, in in softball, the fences are two hundred around at ten years old, twelve years old, eighteen years old, twenty two years old. The fences don't change, so. Uh, we get these college players, and and thanks to the Alan Nathan and some of the work he's done, and you know, I got I've gotten to know him pretty good. Like it takes a ball at about 24 to 26 degree launch angle at 68 miles an hour to get out of a any almost any Division One uh, softball ballpark, and I can tell you right now, every Division One softball player can hit a ball at 68 miles an hour, and so it's different. It's a little bit different, whereas in baseball. You can have guys at Division One level who aren't going to hit hit home runs or hit you know hit a lot of home runs for that matter, whereas softball with two hundred foot fences it's a different ball game. Uh, you actually have the ability to put the ball in the air way more. Uh, and so, uh, for me, uh, it is, it softball has been such a low hanging fruit in the sense of development because. Um, there, there, there haven't been a ton of softball uh, instruction. There have been dads, you know, coaching travel ball and stuff like that. And and so um, you, co- you can come to a new program, and you can see, like, a lot of these girls got by on their talent. And then when you, sh- you start putting swing development into place, they go from uh, – I've had players go from, like, one home run their junior year to 13 home runs their senior year just by learning how to put the ball in the air and learning how to use their bodies better and having, you know, a bat path that's different. And so that's probably the biggest differences. Again, like, the field, like, you can get away with a lot in softball if you are strong and can get the ball in the air. Uh, and so from a movement standpoint, I, I always use the example, like, if, if you had a female who's, like, 5'10", 200 pounds, like, big, strong player, they could hit home runs all day long without striding, without even picking up their feet. They could just literally – uh, fungo a ball out of the ballpark or baseball players like from a load gather stride process like they have to be able to create more force for the most part In in softball you can, you can take away a lot of movement if you can get the barrel on the ball with some uh, bat speed you can get it out of the ballpark so there are some differences a little bit in in that in that sense like uh but swing
0: wise and and practice development wise we do the exact same thing so you you in a sense you don't have to worry about them being as mechanically efficient
1: yeah it depends again like i think for the for the high end really athletic hitters yeah you're right you it's it's we don't have to spend a ton of time uh on swing mechanics but I would say that the average Division One softball program, outside of their top three or four or five hitters, they, I mean, they still do have a long way to go. So we do spend a lot of time on that. But you're going to have a handful of players that it's like, you know, they could have a terrible swing, but if they get on time and the barrel's there and you get a, you could hit a ball 200 feet. Now, I, I think if softball ever gets to – and I, I can see it happening with offense that has boomed in the last 5, 10 years. If softball was ever to move their fences back to like 250 instead of 200 feet, and had more of an outfield, and, and it changed the home run game a little bit. I think it would change uh, the game a lot with just moving the fences back a little bit. Um, and so, a, a lot of teams and a lot of programs have learned: hey, if we get if we can get the ball in the air here, and we don't have we don't have to hit the ball eighty-five miles an hour to get it out of the ballpark. We just got to hit it a little bit harder. So, uh, you know, it's, it's 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 kind of interesting in that stand. That's one of the biggest differences I
0: see when you're working with. Uh, softball players you know I know this past year you were at Fresno State for example when you're when you're going and work, going to these players going up to them and working with them and you're preaching getting the ball in the air is it taboo to them is it similar to baseball in a sense
1: uh, yeah, yeah, I think for a lot of them, that and uh, baseball is the same way. It's, you know, I had one of our best players this year say, you know, uh, I was always taught not to drop my back shoulder, I, and I, you, you keep telling me to do this, and it really is hard for me because my dad and my coaches always said, don't drop your back shoulder, and so there's a lot, there's a lot of that. Uh, for, and we I've had I had a couple players for sure say, you know, I've always been told to do this. And now you're telling me to put the ball in the air and, and I'm not a home run hitter. And I'm like, okay, you know, we have, we have the 80 mile an hour club in softball and we talk, and that's kind of the goal for our exit velocity with our hit tracks. And we've got nine, 10 players in it now. And I've tried to tell them, Hey, it takes 68 miles an hour to hit the ball park. And every person on this roster, we have 20 hitters. Every one of them can hit 68. So nobody here can say, I don't hit for power. I don't have the ability to hit for power. Uh, and so, uh, Yeah, we had to break that that down a lot. Uh, We led the country in triples this year. Our our park is a little bit bigger than other people, so we have this kind of triples alley a little bit like AT&T. And so uh, we were on pace to break, like, NCAA record for triples. We were on pace to break the school record for triples. I think uh, at one point we had, uh, you know – 20-something triples, and, the, and the, uh, Florida State was number two with, like, 10. I mean, it was just an, inc- it was an insane amount uh, where they started learning, hey, we can hit the ball with a lot of power. Uh, and I think there's, there's a lot of taboo around that, and softball players, you know, put the ball on the ground, and it, it's, uh, it's, it t- it takes, it's taken a little while, but it's changed a lot. Because of the internet, social media, a lot of guys, baseball guys going into softball, and it's definitely getting out there a lot more.
0: Yeah, no, I was, I, was, I was following you guys um, last year, and I did see – I mean, you guys were tearing it up uh, for Fresno State. And then I saw even when you – back when you were with South Carolina, too, just a couple of years ago, again, just incredible offensive success. I mean, success leaves clues everywhere you go, Matt. You just – you guys just dominate. I mean, you, it clearly shows what you're teaching and implementing is, is working.
1: Yeah, i I've been really, really fortunate. Where for me, a lot of times I've come come into programs that maybe they had down years the year before, and as South Carolina, you know, had some a bunch of down years and you know, we ended up, you know, top seven in the country and we broke the home run record and all these things. And so I think they, those things just shine a bigger spotlight on it. Whereas I think there's, there's a lot of hitting coaches that come into programs that already, you know, are established or have good programs. So it's not, it's not seen as much. And I just have been really lucky that i have gone to places where, you know, the next year, uh, there's we've had these huge jumps and just been really fortunate with that. But, you know, I, I'll tell you, uh, you know, Hitting hitting is very difficult, and you, as you, you everybody you know, and a lot of your things. But I'll tell you, you know, in my game of this uh, player hitting development, it, it really doesn't have to be that difficult. You know, it doesn't. The puzzle is really not that difficult, and I think, as you know, if you can spend time with your hitters, really get to know like what their goals are and what they're capable of and what their needs are. That the the actual development piece to me it, it's really not that difficult uh, if if and so for me I think that a lot at the college level I think it's really difficult for coaches to really spend the time to develop hitters they want they they want to get players that are pretty polished and, and they want to be able to manage you know to manage them and their, and their stuff but if you can make a focus on on actual development and, and create the time for that which can be difficult at the college level uh, you can you know you can see uh, Carlton Salter is a great example. Carlton does a great job. And, he, you know, when you get down in the lab and you really get to work with these hitters, you can make huge differences. And for me, uh, at the University of Oregon, that's that's kind of when I first got there. I'm like, hey, we're going to really get in the cages and we're going to really start developing individual plans. And for me, you know, it, it took a lot more work. But at University of South Carolina, I, every college team that I knew, you had scouting reports on a pitcher. And so let's say you're facing this pitcher. Here's the scouting report. Well, I decided to just – you know, see, let's let's give it a try for this season. I'm gonna build individual scouting reports for every single hitter. So every single hitter had their own plan. Like, hey, if if she if this person's pitching, here's where they're gonna stand in the box. Here's the pitchers you're gonna go. And we and we created individual plans. And so from a scouting report standpoint, I mean, I put in way more work than I ever should have in my life. But <laughs> we saw the we saw the results of in the very first weekend in the SEC we played. Tennessee who was number two in the country at the time I think they were like 30 and 0 and we swept them and we scored like 35 runs and run ruled them one of the things and the players like wow those individual scouting reports that were just for me they made a huge difference and so you know I, I just think that in our game, uh, with hitting specifically, like I said the more granular you can get to helping those individual players develop, you're going to see that. But if, uh, as you know, like if you're just kind of running hitting stations and and just kind of have a over you know general hitting philosophy, uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna live Oppo or we're gonna do this. Uh, you know, I just I just don't. I think you're going to get whatever you have talent wise, uh, and and you're not going to really get the potential out of them.
0: So, because of the time restrictions, do you? Prefer the professional baseball game just because you can work with guys as as much as you want versus in the NCA. There's there's a, there's a time limit, so you you can only per NCA rules work with work only work so many hours.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I would say you know I, I I could live in the cages for a really long time. I think what you have to do at the college level is just prioritize. So a lot of our hitting, we're small group hitting, and so instead of being in the cages for an hour and a half or an hour like most programs do, uh, I would. I would create like these smaller groups and we hit in groups of two or three so that I could spend a lot of time with them. That's kind of how I combat combated that a lot. Um, but yeah, the, you know, I would say people ask me a lot of times, what's the biggest difference with uh, college softball players and college baseball players. And honestly, the biggest difference, and I hope it changes someday more is that they most college softball players that that's the height of their game. Like they're going to get their degree. They're going to get jobs and, and softball is that's the end of the road right there. And so, and there is some pro softball opportunities and they're, they're not very much. They don't pay very well right now, but they're, they're trying to build it. And that's great. And, but until then, you know, all the college baseball players, when you, when you're at a college baseball program you work college players and you know, their goal is to get drafted and, and they want to, they, a lot of them are trying to make, you know, make it to the pros or try to get drafted. And so, the amount of work that they're willing to put in the extra time like that is it's just different because they see this, you know, goal of trying to make professional baseball, whereas in softball, a lot of hitters, you know, this is this is the kind of the height of what they're going to do. And and they're, they're going to put in the extra work because they want to be they want to be great players. They want to win. But there's there's this extra level that you see out of college baseball players who are like, hey, I'm really gonna get, um, start grinding even more, put in the extra time because, hey, you know, they want to be they want to get drafted and they'll put the work in for that.
0: Do you find yourself as a coach sometimes wanting to work or spend more time outside of the cage working on a plan, particularly for a player who is is hungrier than the next guy? I feel like that's a that's a normal human. that that I feel like as coaches, we sometimes feel. Do you feel that at all?
1: Yeah. I mean, the one thing that was really cool when I was at the University of Missouri, my office where I sat at my desk, you could see the batting cages. So, it was really cool that I could be at my desk working and players are hitting in the cages and they would just c- come across the hall. and like, Hey coach. And they sit down and, and, and they would talk about, it could be plan. We could talk about their hit tracks data. We could talk about different things and, or their plate coverage and contact points. And so, yeah, I mean, I said, I think that's why you love coaching and, and why you do it and, and, and why everybody does because like, you know, the, 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 um, the aspect, of the relational side of coaching, where you get to really sit down and like help help someone develop a plan. Uh, for me, you know, I, there were so many countless nights, uh, 2015, 16, 17, that I had major league players who. The game would be over at 10, 30 p.m. I'd be in bed and start texting me video of them, uh, you know, watching their swings, like, what do you got here? And talking to them like, and I would stay up till 12, 1 o'clock in the morning sometimes, like, talking, and just, it, again, like, that's just that's just in our blood, our DNA, like, we want to, we're willing to sit down and, and talk it out, and we love doing that, and I think, uh, you know, as much time as I love talking in to the cages too, it, it is really fun to sit down and say, hey, you know what? what do you think about this and trying to, and, and, and p- problem solving together when it comes to plan stuff. And I think what's really awesome about 2020 is that the amount of data that we have in TrackMan that we can really talk about, like, Hey, you know, you have barrels in these zones, your contact point here, uh, your chase rate over here. And we can start really honing in on attacking things and at fresno state for example we have the hit tracks in the cage and the e-hack which throws all kinds of different pitches so we can have days where it's like hey i'm going to set the machine up that's going to have rise balls out of the zone and curve balls low in the zone you got to take the rise ball you got to swing at this pitch and or i can say hey patrick you know you're barreling up all these zones you know uh middle out you know we're still struggling getting barrel on that, getting some good exit velocity and driving it. Let's work on that today. And I'm gonna set the machine up to literally attack you right in that little square, and in, so we can have, we can do great work without ever talking about your swing or without you know having to make it about swing mechanics. And and I think there's a lot of hitters that can that really uh, can get a lot better by doing that. And so what I've seen on the internet world the last few years from Twitter and social media is that you have these guys like. You know, we got all this data and just, you know, hit the ball in the air and, and just do that. And there are basically no swing mechanics. Then you have the guys on the other side of the spectrum. It's like, you know, 100% swing mechanics. We don't need data or anything to tell us that. And I think that, that the, the hitting coaches that do it best are the ones who live in the middle. It's like, hey, I'm going to use data to help my hitters get better. And we're going to use swing mechanics and help uh, hitters get better. But we're not going to be all mechanics. We're not going to be only data and only uh, this. And we're going to find the way that, that works best for that hitter. Uh, and I think in my experience, the, hitters, uh, the co- hitting coaches that do that really well uh, are the best ones I've seen out there.
0: Do you have a system that you, that you personally like to use when, let's just say, for example, this past year at Fresno State, like every month you do, te- you do retesting on KVS and Blast Motion and HitTracks or like, what's your system? So my first system is
1: that I interview the player and I get to know them, like, what are your goals? What do you want? And, you know, for me, I kind of start, always start with a loaded question. Like, do you think you could hit for more power? Like, I, and then so I never try to talk about stats. Like, hey, do you think you can hit 20 home runs? And it's like, oh no. But I was like, do you think you could hit more doubles? Do you think you could hit for more? Power, so uh, you know I I frame it frame it around like what do you what is it you want to get accomplished for this year? Start with that, Uh, and some of them have a pretty good sense of their swing. Some of them have no idea, Uh, and then um, you know we we do a physical assessment. I I do I'm on base you certified, and it's a perfect assessment. So I do that with our strength and conditioning coach together, and then we talk about weight room and the weight room plans are really uh, we've got the team workout plan, but we also have individual uh, plans on assessment, so we know. (laughs) <laughs> you know, what, what their mobility and strength is like. And, and we focus on that. And then I K vest hit tracks. So, you know, we do a full assessment as many. So sw- I try to get a couple hundred swings uh, with that stuff. K vest, maybe not that many swings just because the the output's difficult, maybe 20, 20, 30 swings with the K vest off of the machine or live pitching. And then we sit down with the data and say, you know, Hey, here's the deficiencies. Here's where you have a lot of strength. And then I build out a hitting plan. It's, it's like a PDF that I give them that's like, you know, here's five drills we're going to work on this month. Here's all of your exit velocity and all your data. Here's like the goals or here's like the averages for, um, you know, what we're trying to get to. And then in just ret- you know, retesting them about once a month. It's, it kind of depends on the hitter, uh, how, how f- far along they are, but about once a month revisit that plan and then and say okay hey we've seen this numbers go up this has gone down your angle is much better now uh, and these things so uh, it's kind of this holistic approach uh, of you know hey you swing at these pitches out of the zone uh, and so using a stat cast hit tracks version of it in the sense of contact points and just saying okay here's what you do really well Here's where we need work, and let's work on both of those things and, and, and get better at it. So uh, our plans are always very, very individualized. And then I, I, I try to do my best in the college setting to, like, pair up players. Say, hey, you know, YouTube hitters have very similar uh, patterns and, and needs. Yeah, and I, I'll be honest. I stole, I think I stole it from Max Dutto with Driveline is putting players in buckets hey you're the you're you are in the exit speed power bucket that's like your biggest need and then we've got like the swing mechanics bucket like we hey you know what you've got some power some exit velocity some bat speed but like contact is not great attack angle you know these things your batted ball data is not great so let's work on that and then we've got the hitters who are like have you know are doing really well in those areas but they make bad swing decisions, or uh, certain pitches they struggle with, and, and it's mostly like a lot of mindset and approach. So we try to, I try to put hitters in those buckets as much as I can uh, to to say, hey, let's focus on that bucket for a little while, because you and I know, like especially if you have younger hitters, like they could have twenty things wrong with their swing. <laughs> and something, something that I had learned from Craig many years ago was when you assess a hitter, what is the one thing right now, what is the most important thing that we can do to help this hitter? And so uh, as a hitter a hitting coach, a lot of times we want to go, well, you've got this wrong. You, you do this. You sway. You do this. You know, and it's like, and the hitters are like, oh, my God, I'm the worst. Whereas if we sit down and go, okay, you know, hey, they've got a lot of things going on. I'm not, not going to tell them that. But... You know what? I really think if you don't sway in your load and get over this uh, over your backside and your head goes back, you know, I think you're gonna that that could be something you you know whatever the one thing is that would really help them. Uh, let's focus on that one thing and see and go from there. And to, I, that's always been an approach that I have tried to keep because if you tell a hitter they have three, four, five things wrong and you're trying to try to tackle all of them, uh, there's I, I have not seen a lot of success with that.
0: Yeah, hitting is is pretty complex as as is. So I I definitely agree, and I've definitely have made that mistake before of listing off of those things where, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a good good a conversation with the player. But I saw on Twitter a few months ago. I think someone started this thread of if you could pick two to three things or two to three tools that that you could only use to develop hitters, what would they be? I think some people had like K vest, blast motion, hit tracks, maybe. What would be your few things that? You, I, I, you yeah, know? I
1: saw that. That was, that was actually really good. A, a meme had like nine different things on there. Yeah, uh, yeah. For me, you know, I'll tell you. In in 2015, uh, I bought my own hit tracks. Um, my, my wife, to this day, she would she would kill me
0: if. if <laughs> you know.
1: But uh, I bought my own hit tracks, and that off season, I was working with thirty to fifty uh, pro players, and and. When I bought that hit tracks right around the offseason, I will tell you that that changed everything in the way that I work with uh, pro players in the offseason because up until that point, we were, you know, we were working on swing pants and we were, we were having success and it was going well. But, you know, like you, in front toss, you hit a ball and it goes to the back of the cage and you're like, oh, that was a really good one. Thumbs up. Yeah. When you put the hit tracks in there. And you start seeing the data of the ball and all this stuff, and you have pro players hanging around. The competitive nature of training changes uh the you know and the data, and so you and it's a BS meter. You know what I mean? You could say like, "Hey, I want you to do xyz and all of a sudden, like you know, their their exit velocity goes way down or up. Like it it it's a it it's a kind of a truth seeker in the sense. So for me hit tracks was a game changer in the sense of how it works. So that to me, that would be number one. I think uh, blast motion sensors would be uh, number two in the sense of uh, just get like, you know, vertical bat angle, uh, bat speed time to impact from the rotational acceleration stuff, I think uh, would be really important. So um, for me, those would be the biggest things um, that I think I'd have. And then uh, maybe from there, Maybe a pitching machine. Like if I said if I had to have a tool like uh, to make it to make it game like practice, uh, if I had to have something, I mean, I I can always do front toss. That's not a tool, so maybe it, probably a pitching machine would be the thing that I would use, and uh, just because I can't I can't simulate uh, stuff very well.
0: Don't you think it's hard to? I mean, I, I think of like for KVS, which I've had for a couple years now, it is. It's difficult because. You know I see you look on like their kinematic sequence chart and one swing is really good and then the other swing's like, ah, it's not so good, and then the next one's good. And so it's how do we best use this? You know what I mean? Because yep. the swings are like snowflakes. There's no two that are yep. truly alike. I mean, I think that players move consistently a certain way, but I mean, is there is there a way that you like to use your K V S specifically?
1: Well, for me, I, I've learned a lot. Uh, we talked about before, uh, you know, Ryan Johansson with the White Sox, a good friend of mine, and, and one of the things that he has really instilled in me a lot is, is is the word context and having context. And you know, in my conversations with Justin Stone too, the one mistake that I first made when I started doing uh, doing data and doing KVs, especially, was not having the context of the pitch location or the pitch. And so, uh, I think it's really important to be able to know like, hey, this was a low and outside pitch or this was a high and, out, high and in pitch and, and knowing what the context of the pitches that you're evaluating. So, uh, one of the things that we did uh, that I had some fun with with the White Sox in spring training last year was we did the hit the K-Vest off the machine with everybody and then I had to do it off front toss and tee and the numbers are way different because hitters off the tee, you know, they really crank, uh, they load up, uh, you know, there's a lot of more internal rotation of their shoulders, you know, and so the, the KVS data was all over the place. And so trying to figure out the context of, uh, of each pitches. And so for me, uh, when it came to that, KVS is a perfect example of trying to figure out, okay, you know, what do they do on this pitches and what do they do on pitches that they hit really well? You know, if they hit a ball 105 miles an hour, let's look at the, let's look at their for ground force uh, data. Let's look at their KVS data and like, okay, we know this is a good swing. And so like, you know, that could be the model of what we're trying to reach for for this hitter. Uh, and so trying to keep track of those ones or keep track of the bad ones and say, okay, we noticed that, on these certain pitches, uh, you know, let's do all, let's do curveballs or change ups, you know, what do they do? And so, you know, context is really important when it comes to the KVS data and, and other data and, and knowing what that is. And uh, the, the one thing, uh, that I've been telling KVS and I know I mean not KVS, but hit tracks and other people is that if, if we had the ability to record swings and misses, on the hit tracks, I think that that would really help uh, coaches as well from the swing miss ratio uh, with some of that stuff. That's the only thing with hit tracks. I mean, it, it's uh, a plus across the board. I mean, I know everyone we love it and it's a, one of the best tools out there. But when we're training live pitching stuff, machine with off speed, uh, a lot of times the sw- we don't get the swing and miss ratios and we don't get some of that data that we don't uh, that have. So um, you know, that's that's one thing that I would really um you know encourage coaches to do is think about the context of of everything
0: as hitting coaches we we sometimes you know or at least i i do i'm guilty of this you know, always want to talk about mechanics and but i think first off that you got to be able to believe that you're a good hitter when you're in the box like you have to have confidence and in my question that i want to throw out to you because if that's i told a few people that I had you coming on and they wanted me to ask you know like how do you help players with with the confidence piece
1: um I think that's a great question and i i would i would say that uh in the last five years or so i think i've spent more time on the mental game than i have on anything else and i, I think you know now being in pro ball like you you could a lot of times hitters and hitting coaches we analyze these hitters uh you know um chris davis of the orioles uh, he made he did, had his big contract and he had some he had some years he's had you know some rough time but when you look at his swing you know i i break down i've broken down his swing a few times his swing hasn't really changed it's not his swing's not worse it's not it's not better i, I mean it's not it's not uh it's not a swing issue okay and so and I don't know chris so i don't I can't speak to his stuff but for me uh what I've learned with working with a lot of high level players is that a, Sometimes it has nothing to do with the swing. It's all mental. It's all confidence. And so I've spent a lot of time over the last few years talking to our hitters about, and I asked them the question, you know, what is the number of uh, offers you would say that you're in a slump and, and that it would affect your, your mind? And the answers are all over the place. Like 0 for 4. Like 0, oh, you know, over 4. Are you, you know, in the clubhouse and like you're pouting and you're angry? Is it 0 for the weekend? Like you're 0 for 12, and that that sucks. Like what is the, uh, what is your threshold for a slump? Is it 0 for 20? Like when do you start like melting down mentally? And like you get over for fours, you get people who have and so I just talk a lot about how, you know, look at you think about Mike Trout, you know, probably the probably the greatest maybe the greatest hitter of all time at some point, greatest hitter of our generation. He has won MVPs where he's gone O for 19 in streaks. He's had years I've gone through his data. He's had a couple years where he's gone O for nineteen. And I'm like and he still hit three thirty two and won the MVP those years. So I, I try to I try to give perspective to athletes just about, hey, you know, this game is really, really difficult. And you're going to have these times, and, and some of the best hitters, and so I, and I think I, most coaches talk about it, like, hey, the Hall of Fame players, and, and right now, like, if you hit 300, that you're going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. So, it's gonna if you can frame it around understanding that and understanding that, uh, you know how difficult it is, and if if you focus on just the, the results of batting average and, and things like that, there was a year that. I was working with Jock Peterson, and the stats were coming out about Pip and stuff like that. And there was an article that came out, and he was struggling with some stuff. And we were talking. I'm like, you know, that there's a stat right now that shows you are the unluckiest hitter in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, you have the highest, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're the most unlucky hitter barrels to outs, and like, and and I had to talk to him about that because that it, like. You know, it, it wears on you. You're, 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 he's hitting the ball really well, but it's not getting the results. So you have to be able to focus on those things. And I think from a confidence standpoint, you know, I talked to a lot of our players uh, a lot about, even at uh, Fresno State, I've told players, hey, you know, we're in the top 15 in the country. Division One softball. There are a million girls out here that play softball you are in the, some of you are in the starting lineup at uh, a top 15 team you are in the top 1% or more of the best hitters in the in the sport like in the actual sport of softball do you understand that and i do you get that and i understand that you want to win i understand you want to get better I, I understand you want these results but i need you to have the perspective that like you have worked really hard and you've done the work to become one of the best athletes in this sport and that that is something to celebrate and hold on to from a confidence standpoint too. So that when you're in the, and we talked just a lot about, and I, I can review them, uh, like, you know, flushing, flushing and, and finding ways to, to uh, be able to d- deal with adversity and, and, and to be able to, I think uh, as hitting coaches, we know like at the higher levels, like you're more of a psychiatrist and a psychologist than you are a swing mechanics coach many times. And just learning how to do that. And, you know, if there's any hitting coaches out there, uh, especially if a high school coaches listening my best advice to you is to have really, really good trusting relationships with your hitters because the, the better that relationship is, the more that you can come to them and say, hey, I think you should do X, Y, and Z, and they are going to buy into you. But if you have no relationship with your players and you just come in and say, you need to do X, Y, and Z, the, the wall is going to go up, and like, who are you to tell me what to do uh, and stuff like that? Whereas, in you know, Patrick, if you're my hitter, and I really get to know you, I get to know your life and your family, and like, there's we actually have a relationship, and I've worked with you, and, and I've and I've served you in ways of trying to get help you get better. When you are struggling with something, it could be, and especially like from a mental aspect. I can come to you like, "Hey, man, what's going on? Let's talk about this." And your posture is going to be much more listening. I'm willing to hear what you have to say than if you and I never talked and there's this wall and like you're over here and you. I tell you what to do. I'm the coach and you're the player, and uh, it, that, it's, it that's going to be really difficult. So uh, if if you're a high school coach and you and I, I would challenge anyone listening to evaluate what is your relationship like with hitters right now, uh, and how much re, uh, relational trust and equity do you have with them, so that when they're struggling or in a slump, uh, that they're willing to come to you and talk to you about it, and, and you're able to, and then be able to listen.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great advice right there, and I, I love the uh, the Jock Peterson uh, how you how you mentioned that he was just he was literally the unluckiest hitter in MLB at the time and just he just needed some perspective and I think that's that's hard at times for for hitters too so for for a hitter let's say you know Jock he was doing what he was really supposed to do at that time when he was struggling according to um, maybe his batting average but for a hitter who's who's off time he's too early he's too late Are, are you a fan of and I've, cause I've heard big leaguers talk about this before, of, of having some guys sacrifice at bats to get them back on track.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the I've tweeted about this a few times, but, like, the, the only absolute in hitting, like, the only thing, there's only one rule, like, it has to work. So, for me, like, when hitters tell me, uh, cause, you know, there are cues that some of us don't like. I'm not a huge fan of get on top of the ball or squish the bug or, you know, some of the cues uh, out there, but – if a hitter tells me, I, if I do this, I'm going to try to do this, and it works – high five great job let's do that and so I'm I'm always open to creative things so if a hitter says you know what I'm gonna go up there and try to do this or I know I I know a lot of hitters who am hey, gonna try to bunt for a hit just to, or I'm gonna try to I'm just trying to get trying to get on base I'm gonna get on top of the plate I'm gonna wear one like just to get some momentum going dude I am all for all of those things you know for me or a lot of times I come up uh, I have a lot of hitters who say you know I'm really struggling with this pitch I'm gonna sit change up for this whole game and I'm gonna just sit change up or I'm gonna sit off speed i'm not gonna you know i'm gonna try to uh do that i'm all for trying like all for trying stuff i think and getting creative uh with ideas and like i said sacrificing it a bat to get on time and and different things uh, to me again the only rule is it has to work and and you can try anything you want and let's talk about it afterwards like hey did you feel like that helped and nah, no it didn't or yeah that got me back on and all right you know so uh, i'm all for out, outside the box thinking when it comes to you know changing things up
0: how how do you think we can help help hitters make better swing decisions and and I say that you know I, I brought up you know how, how do you help hitters with confidence I feel you got to have confidence first and you got to make swing decisions better good swing decisions next um, I think they go in that order in my own I, that's yeah. what I believe yeah. and then maybe mechanics uh, third so do you have ways that you help your your hitters with with making better swing decisions
1: yeah so I would spend, I would say especially as the season starts going, like we spend one hundred percent of our time on plate discipline and evaluate you know for me, when I got to the University of Missouri, uh, coach Beezer uh, a really great offensive mind, his plate discipline knowledge and and training it was i mean incredible. He taught me so much, and for us, uh, with the track man data we had at Missouri and from the, the past. Every week when the leaderboard would go up with all the stats, I mean, we had play discipline scores, and, on all, and, and for him, uh, he trained it so well. It was incredible. So we, we would spend uh, in our practices so much time on that, and, and I took – I mean, I stole all of that stuff. It was incredible. So for me, um, we used sense then, uh, and it was really, really great. I mean, how cool is technology nowadays? You got win reality, you hit – uh, you know, I slow the game down. To, Ryan does some great stuff. Um, game Sense does some really good stuff. So, I mean, what, what I like to do is, uh, for example, like we, we do a lot of stand-ins in the bullpen. We saw off the handle. And, and put some concrete in there or some weights in there and make it a, a weighted bat and so we have hitters take swings in there and like, like, like the university of missouri we had this video room with this huge screen and we had hitters in the box facing game sense hitters and so you know, trying to make it game like same thing with machines and trying to and trying to practice game like things and so we would always we we always score it like hey you know you uh you're gonna get 10 pitches uh, you know how many de- how many good decisions did you make? And it could be like, hey, you know what? Today you're gonna swing at fastball. You're gonna take changeup. Or today you're gonna swing at this and not swing at this. Or you're gonna hit it outside. And and then you're like, hey, you get ten pitches at it. All right, you got seven out of ten, eight out of ten. We would tell people then to practice. Hey, Joey was the winner today. Got ten out of ten. Played decisions. So you have to celebrate it. You have to focus on it. Uh, and so for me, if you have a hit tracks for one, that's a great area to start. Like, hey. And from the machine, you know, uh, we have the e-hack machine or if you have a programmable machine that can pitch on the corners and do some different things, uh, we train it every day a lot. We talk about it a lot. We celebrate those who do a good job of it. You know, for me, people ask me all the time, what's your hitting philosophy? And it's do damage and get on base. <laughs> and at Fresno State this year, we trained it so much. I think we were second in the country in walks. And uh, we ha- we had like three of our hitters in the top five in the country in walks. Uh, And uh, we actually had one hitter who, uh, like in 19 at bats, she had 17 walks or something like that. She was in the top five in the country. Uh, So we trained it so much. Uh, and I think that it's it's if you're not training it, finding ways to train for it. And nowadays, there's no excuse. Like I said, with all the tools that we have uh, in it, and even if you don't have any tools, I mean, if you have old man BP, you're probably training it already all uh, all over the place. But uh, there are so many ways from stand-ins to the bullpen to technology and video to um, you know having practice plans and cages set up where you do or don't swing at pitches.
0: Uh, I would say it's, it's one of the most important things we could be training. Well, and I think what you just brought up too, about how just you consciously making it important is, is maybe the best way to go about it. You know, you talked about celebrating, you know, making good swing decisions and talking about it all the time and having different drills and stuff, just making a big emphasis, emphasis on it, I I think may be the best way to go about it. That's, that was good stuff. Um, one last thing I wanted to, to kind of bring up and talk to you about because I've, I've seen one of, the, one of the reasons I like following you online is, you know, it's not you don't just do mechanics or even just swing decisions. It's a lot of different stuff. And I've seen some of your, your content lately with like coffee with Coach Lyle and, and how you've talked about amateur baseball. How can we make amateur baseball better?
1: man that 's a great question and it's something that's been on my heart for many many years yeah. uh, you know i uh, in two thousand uh, nine and ten I coached at a high school that was uh, that uh, was really low income high school in, in a low income community and we did some really really cool free free camp stuff in the community and 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 I look back to those times and there were some really really i 'm really glad that I did that and for me the the problem that we have with amateur baseball and sports in general is that, like the cost is out of control and i and I, to, I totally get like and I understand like parents who want to spend money on gear and lessons development i 'm all for that I think that is really i think that's great uh, and and do those things like and get on the best travel team and have uh, four uniforms and travel across the country have fun with that and i and I, I, I will never bag on that the, I think the problem that we have is you know, I'm the oldest of seven kids. My dad was a refinery worker. And my mom was a stay-at-home uh, mom. And if in the landscape of baseball now, I, there's no chance I would have been able to play on any of these teams. I play, I would have I played on the Little League team, the rec team. I I'd never really had good gear. Uh, and so uh, I just think that you are missing out on a just a huge, huge amount of uh, kids who could learn to really love this game because they don't have the opportunities to do that. And I know MLB does a good job with RBI stuff. And I think – I just think there needs to be more and more people advocating for how do we uh, give opportunities to kids who don't have the opportunity to have uh, gloves and get on the travel teams. And, you know, if I was a travel ball coach and running travel ball organization uh, right now, uh, I would try to find ways to – Fundraise to have one or two players in your team that are scholarship players, or you know, try try to find ways to uh, to do that. To be out in the community, uh, helping, uh, like I said, doing a free camp and just having and, and, and having kids out there because it is just so difficult. The entry point. My kids play little league. And, uh, my daughter, my seven year old daughter, my eight year old son, it's 200 bucks a kid. It's 400 bucks to, just for them to play. And it's just, it's just, it's just wreck ball. And it's still, that's still expensive, you know, and relative. And I think when we were kids, um, I played a little, like, I, I I think I asked my mom, like, what did you guys pay? I was like maybe 50 bucks and you, and you got everything you needed, like pants, gl- uh, socks, Jersey hat, you got it all for that price. And so to me, it's just, I think, uh, everybody uh, uh, from the top to the bottom needs to continue to find ways to create opportunities for those who are not as fortunate as everyone else to be able to do that. And, uh, and, I think that was. I think that's the best way to help uh, youth baseball to grow. And and I, I know that I, Andrew McCutcheon does a really good job of speaking on it. I know there's some other guys, and uh, I, as much as people can shine a light on that and try to find ways, I, I think it's a challenge. But it, I think it's something we've got to try to figure out how to give uh, the kids opportunities that that wouldn't get it.
0: That that was great. Uh, great great way of just really just great way of great advice that you just gave about having a scholarship, right? If you're, if you run a travel, travel organization, like even just one or two kids, like that's one or two kids who now get an opportunity that never would have gotten the chance. And who knows what that could lead to. Yeah. Um, and I'll,
1: ha- I'll tell you my last year coaching uh, coach travel ball team back in 2006 or something like that. And, you know, none of the coaches made a single dime. And we would just, you know, that back in those days, I don't remember anybody making any money coaching travel ball, but we had, three or four guys who like in the cost of the just paying for umpires. I mean, it probably cost us we, and we travel a little bit, you know, cost 500 bucks a kid. It's just in the, in the sense of you know, buying balls and, and we went to, we traveled to a couple different uh, spots, but the kids who couldn't make, I mean, they couldn't pay a dime. There's just, it was zero chance they were going to pay. And so we had a, uh, you know, a barbecue dinner fundraiser and we, and we did, we did a car wash and our kids knew like the kids who could afford it they knew that like that money was going to go to pay, help pay for those two or three guys. And, you know, and what's funny is that, I mean, parents, maybe parents talked about it in the background. Like, you know, uh, why did I pay the 500 bucks and these guys didn't, I don't, but the kids themselves, they never, you know, they're at least to my experience, they never complained about having some of these players, especially the ones who are good. You know, they never complained about, you know, well, you know, I had to, I had to pay my travel ball fees and they didn't. And I know that, I still have relationships with those guys 15 years later, and I and I know you know how appreciated they were that they got to be on that travel ball team. They could have done that, so I don't I don't think it's difficult to ask a lot of travel ball organizations to try to figure out, hey, how do we how can we subsidize uh, to get some players uh, that couldn't afford it and, and find some ways to do that.
0: Ah, that's good stuff, man. I know there's going to be some travel ball organizations who are going to listen to this, and and hopefully that sparks some ideas for them. And like you said, I, I know there's some really good people out there who do run them and and do try to, to do well. And and hopefully that you know by you you giving that giving that advice that can that can help. I mean, I, I just I'm starting to think of things just for myself that after you said that. So that's really good stuff, man. And you know you're doing a really good job of of promoting the game the right way and developing players and putting out good content like i said not just on mechanics or drills but of amateur baseball like how to talk to coaches and, and parents advice for parents and it's just you know it's just good stuff man and uh, if anyone can follow you or is there one particular place i know you have a, like over a million followers but is there is there once one place you you're you focus more of your time on a social media platform
1: um, not really. I mean, for me, my thing is at Coach Lyle on all platforms. But, uh, you know, I, I think I used to spend a lot of time on Twitter. Uh, you know, Twitter, as you know, is uh, I mean, a dumpster fire is probably the best way to ever explain Twitter in general. <laughs> so, I, I haven't spent a lot of time there. I have a little bit more lately. But uh, honestly, I, I've enjoyed, I spend a lot of time on Instagram now and I'm try, I've tried to build that up. A little. That's, that's one area that, you know, I, I have struggled to build. That's where all the cool kids hang out, I guess. And so, <laughs> I've been, I've tried to build that up a little bit. Um, but you know, for me, uh, I do the best I can, uh, to try to engage with people. A bunch of Twitter is probably the easiest to, to, to engage with people and, and try to do that. Uh, and so, but, uh, I, 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 I try to spend my time as much as I can, uh, on all the platforms and
0: trying to answer people and, and as, much, as much as I can. Awesome. Matt, appreciate you coming on today, man. It's good stuff. Uh, had a lot of fun and enjoyed it. Thanks, Patrick. I appreciate it. And I, again,
1: to everybody, everybody already knows this, but you do an incredible job too and helping grow the game. Uh, I've seen you kind of grow the last couple of years on social media and you're, and you're doing a really, really good job. So I appreciate you having me on and keep, keep crushing it, man.
0: Appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Make sure to go subscribe on iTunes so you can stay up to date on the latest trends and techniques being taught in player development. Until next week, hope everyone stays safe.